0: And welcome to the Middlemen podcast, taking you ringside, pitch side and sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams.
1: And I'm Max Taylor. We may not have a guest this week, but we do still have an action packed episode for you. Looking at what might be the downfall of one British fighter in Josh Warrington to the ascendance of another in Josh Kelly. That is, of course, before giving our takes on our supported clubs.
0: So, former IBF World Featherweight Champion Josh Warrington lost to Maurizio Lara in a ninth round shock TKO. That was on the weekend. No one saw it coming. It wasn't a fight that the Brit wanted in the first place. Um, the IBF insisted that Warrington fought Kid Galahad in a rematch. He wasn't having it. He gave up his IBF Featherweight belt because he wanted to fight Can Chu. Uh, Warrington wanted to then fight Gary Russell Jr. for the WBC World title. Didn't happen either. He ended up fighting Mexico's Mauritio Lara, uh, who he thought was a bit of a journeyman, wasn't happy that he had to take him on. Uh, and in the build-up to the Battle at Wembley, Warrington actually said, I'm not happy, this isn't the fight I want. Words that definitely came back to haunt Warrington, who was knocked out in that ninth round. Um, lost for the first time in his career, he damaged his jaw, his eardrum, shoulder. He confirmed on TalkSport that he went straight to hospital after the fight and he said that these things happened and he seemed pretty laid back about it. But for me, I watched that first round uppercut in the very first round and it caught Josh out cold. And I was surprised that Warrington even survived the fourth round because that fight, in my opinion, if it were on the other shoe and if it were Lara, who had uh, been knocked down in the fourth round like that, the fight would have been stopped by referee Howard Foster, who um, Howard Foster has made some pretty rash decisions before. And he's definitely not afraid to call a fight off I me. Mean, he famously stopped Carl Frotch and George Groves, and he stopped that way too soon. Um, so loads of questions to be asked about this. I mean, Josh Warrington's dad was in his corner, so um, plenty of questions to be asked of the corner itself. Why didn't they throw in the towel? But Max, that's a little summary. What were your thoughts on the fight, and how on earth um, did it go nine rounds?
1: Well, I think you're completely right when you say um, if it was on the other shoe, that that fight would have been stopped. And it definitely it, you know, wouldn't have even gone halfway of nine rounds because uh that is 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 ridiculously long for the punishment that Warrington took when you watch that fight. Uh but the whole the whole lead up, the whole situation, you know, nobody expected this outcome to happen. Uh it's I'm I'm still not over it to be honest. I just I can't believe it. Warrington, you know, he's he's looked beatable. I think Kid Galahad made him look uh beatable before in, in their fight. So it's not like there was an aura of invincibility around him, uh, invincibility around him that Lara broke him. But it was more just, um, he just he just went. You know, he, being the underdog served him really well that night because Warrington loves showing up as the favorite, especially you know you saw him come out with the lead song. He's he's the leads boy. He really uh, prides himself on that, and and yeah, I think he's been used to that for so long that he kind of needed a reality check and he got he got much more than reality check um it, it was it's a very scary situation for him to be in not just in the fight but even now because he's been as you said he's been calling for those big fights one of those big fights with gary russell jr uh with kanzu the chinese champion and now coming off a loss to somebody who's virtually unknown before that fight it kind of puts all of that into jeopardy and it's it's going to be a, a long road back for him to fight those big names now i think
0: I mean, if it were football, it would be an FA Cup upset where a League Two side knocked out a Premier League giant. Uh, You touched on it there. Um, Was it just a case of Warrington completely underestimating his opponent, didn't take it seriously enough? As I said right at the start, thought he was a bit of a journeyman, uh, just just a fight to you know to to stay in the game uh, before he took on one of the big boys. Was it just that he wasn't serious enough about the fight, Max?
1: Well. I, I, I maybe somewhat. I think that that might have been an element to it, but I don't think that is that was the pivotal focal reason as to why he lost that fight. I think it, you know, as the saying always goes, styles do make fights, and I think that certainly uh, played a part in it in the Warrington fight. He was trying to out hook a hooker, um, you know. Lara is a he's a slugger, but a rangy slugger, you know, and he, he fought at. Um, at an angle that was just a bit off for Warren's. And I think that ring rust, that inactivity he had out of the ring, kind of, it, you know, made him a bit more unable to find his pocket and find his rhythm and find his space. Everyone was saying when he came out there, even in the first round, he didn't look himself. Um, and I think he needed a few comfortable rounds, four rounds of just sticking and moving to kind of, you know, lose that ring rust. I think it definitely does uh, play a part. And I think uh, Saturday was a prime example of it. So, Yeah, I think uh, Warrington has now dug himself a a really big hole losing to this guy. But I think at the same time, a lot of it was also Lara. I think Lara needs his credit. He deserves it. Warrington said he can hit really hard and Warrington's been in with bangers. So for him to say that Lara can hit hard is something. And I think this kid uh, has a lot more to offer than just this fight. And I don't think it's a fluke. You know,
0: Lara's got a very awkward and unique style that, uh, I mean, could prove very effective now. And like you said, Warrington was rusty, he was flat, stale, a bit tentative. Um, so what's next for, let's start with Warrington. Uh, you know, our man, uh, the guy from Britain, from Leeds, not too far away from us. Uh, we, he's a big fan favourite here in the UK. What's next for Warrington? Who's, who's he got to fight next? What does he have to do to get back among the big names in boxing? It, he's probably sitting at home in Leeds at the moment wondering where it all went wrong.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's tough for him because he had the IBF belt and he's fought top names, especially top British names. You've had Lee Selby, um, who he took the belt off. You've got um Carl Frampton, you know, these are these are big names that he's beaten. So he's he's established himself as that. But even then, uh and obviously Kid Galahad as well, even then he couldn't get those big fights. Those big fights were what he's been wanting for him. and and he's gonna say that's why he um he vacated the IBF. Well, to get those bigger fights and to kind of just just go up that level in terms of being a household name and being a brand. I think he's trying to expand and go globally now, go outside of Britain and really become um, the face of the featherweight division. I think that was his his goal. But obviously vacating the IBF belt when Galahad's mandatory made it look a bit um, suspect that he was avoiding Galahad. But yeah, I, I think that's where it went wrong. You know, he was too hungry for them. But he wanted them and he wasn't getting those fights back then when he was even beating the top people. Now he's lost to somebody who's not an established fighter. So I think it's just setting back massively. And yeah, I think it's going to take him two to three more big fights before he gets his hands on those Kanjus and those um, Gary Russells that he wanted even before his loss.
0: I mean, Max, you are our boxing expert here on the middleman podcast and you fought uh, as an amateur. And so, because I I've never been in a ring, so this is this is a question for you in terms of how, how do you come back from a loss? Because not not that you lost very much, but how do you deal with a, a defeat mentality? How do you come back from being on the losing side of a fight and and trying to trying to get back in the game, get your head in the right place, and go again?
1: Oh mate, well I had plenty of losses, like in a really <laughs> speaking experience of that, but. um obviously, you know, it's a completely different level. I'll ever try and uh, pretend I'm on Warrington's level, but I have been in the situation where you are behind um, and not, is it just a mental challenge? Well, obviously it's a physical challenge, but it's a mental challenge as well. You're down and, and you might know you're down. Maybe you've gone back to your corner and your coach has told you, you know, you need to pull something out in this round and that puts a lot of pressure on you, but that is, that kind of does separate the men from the boys, you know, who is going to step up in those situations and. All, all props to Warrington, all credit to Warrington in that fight because he really did try. You know, he stuck in there, um, and I think I, I don't think he did enough to prove to Howard Foster, the ref, that um, he could. He was did enough to stick in there for as long as he did. I think he should have gone beforehand, but I think he, he was trying everything. You know, he, he was he emptied the tank and um, and fought his heart out. So. Although he did lose and although it's a shock loss, I think he can be definitely be proud of himself for doing that. And I did see that uh, the whole boxing community kind of gave him his credit for that in which he deserves. So, you know, he, he couldn't, the, the result didn't come from him. He wasn't able to, I'm, I'm sure he switched on that loser's mentality of like, you know, I'm, I'm almost a few moments away from losing this fight. Let's get back into it, you know, and he did try, but it doesn't always work out.
0: Yeah, fair play to Josh for trying because uh, he did, after that fourth round, whether or not he should have been allowed to, he he did come out and and he gave it a go. And Howard Foster's argument was that he referred to the referee as Howard and... uh, the referee thought he knew where uh, Josh, Josh knew where he was. Uh, I'm not so sure, but uh, we wish him all the best in his recovery. Uh, apparently, he's got a few more hospital visits, but uh, hopefully he's okay for the near future. Um, let's go on to Lara, who beat Warrington. Um, will he get a crack at the WBO belt now? Um, will he, that's held by his countryman, Emmanuel uh, Neverarte. So will he have a crack at that? And as we touched on earlier, he's got a very unique style, so he could prove he, he could prove really effective in the division.
1: Well, I think if he turns up um, in a fight against Navarrete, like he did in the Warrington fight, that would just be an absolute bunt against against his fellow countrymen, as you said, because both of those guys are bangers. Um, they're, they're both sluggers, but they're sluggers with technique, and that's kind of Warrington's style as well. Um, but I think Lara was just able to to kind of implement that to a, to a better degree in their fight. So if he can do that in any of his future fights that are coming up, um i think we have a new the featherweight division has a new exciting um you know top, almost top contender on their hands you could call him a top contender now i think he has to have catapulted himself into the rankings for beating someone like Warrington. and these next couple of fights will um really show if if it was a fluke on the night which i don't think it is i think his combination punching his um shot selection was was too it just looked too well crafted to to have just been a one off thing uh, so I think he really can take it to these people and you never know, he might get a, sh- a title shot soon if he can prove himself and start making more of these upsets.
0: Well, a bit of an Andy Ruiz, Rocky story. Uh, will, he, will he do what Andy Ruiz did and got a bit complacent, won it, got a bit uh, chubby and never quite got back <laughs> to uh, those winning levels or hopefully it uh, goes down the Rocky path and... Um, Beats the very best in the business. Let's, let's continue with events happening at the Wembley Arena. That was last Saturday. This Saturday in central London, fighting for the EBU European welterweight title. It's Englishman Josh Kelly. He'll face... Russia's David Avenisian for his belt at the Wembley Arena uh, on Saturday night at 10pm uh, kickoff, as it were, GMT. After two years of delays, Max, the much anticipated matchup will be airing on Sky and uh, on DA uh, Zone around the world. And it's been rearranged for a fourth time. Kelly says that come 10pm GMT on Saturday night, he's ready. Um, victory, in my opinion, is essential for him because if pretty boy really wishes to move on and to challenge at world level or even pursue bigger domestic fights then really he must convincingly stop his opponent, um, he's undefeated. He's hoping things will stay that way. Could be in with a shot of Conor Ben if he wins uh, the fight and it goes to plan. What are your thoughts, Max? Um, and who do you think is going to win? Do you think it'll be Kelly or do you think it'll be uh, the Russian uh, Avanesian
1: Uh, Well, I think that you've smashed his surname because I know a lot of people can't pronounce that. I know uh, Kelly's opponent's surname is a big mouthful for me as well. Um, But, you know, he's he's a handful in the ring Um, and he's a veteran. You know, he's had lots of experience and that is exactly what Kelly needs right now. I think it's dangerous having somebody that has that, you know, it's, it's not... If, if if you look at where they are in their two careers, yeah, it kind of does look like the crossroads with the the old guy kind of passing his experience on to the prospect, and the prospect wins and goes on to do great things. But you know, it it kind of has that storyline to it. But Avenissian is just a a danger. You know, well it's it's not well <laughs> it's it's not like he's um old or washed up yet. You know, he's no. may, maybe his his best years are beyond him, but. You know, absolutely, but I think he still has a lot to offer. And uh, I think he has a a very realistic victory that he can get on Saturday night because, you know, Kelly, he's a fan favorite with the way he he fights. You know, his flashy style is very entertaining. It's great to watch. But I think uh, uh, Avanesian definitely has the tools to break him down and give him something to worry about and give him something that Kelly hasn't experienced in his career yet to worry about. So I think there's going to be. you know, new situations for him to deal with come Saturday night. And that'll really tell us uh, what Josh Kelly is made of.
0: Do you think he'll ever get to the top, Josh Kelly, even if he wins this fight? I mean, Conor Ben was saying he needs he needs Kelly to win this fight because welterweights in Britain aren't well known enough around the world in comparison uh, to Errol Spence Jr. and uh, all of the others. Do, do you think he'll ever be among the very best in the business, Josh Kelly?
1: Well, I think the welterweight division... Um, definitely has, and almost to an underrated degree, has a massive bit of depth to it. You know, you look in the uh, top fifteen of each of the governing bodies, you look at those rankings. They're tough fighters, um, really tough fighters. So it's it's not easy at all to break that top fifteen, that top ten. Then you know, the the more you get up, the harder it gets. So I think it's it's hard for any welterweight to crack the mold, let alone British. And then, uh, it's it, I think it's just a stage in kind of uh development in britain right now where there's no 147 pound boxers coming through that you know look world class obviously you know we do have uh ben and kelly as you mentioned and those are the guys that have potential so um for a british boxing fan's sake i hope kelly does have what it takes but it's these fights that is uh gonna tell us you know does he have that um and they're gonna mold him and either make him or break him
0: well that kicks off at 10 p.m uh, at Wembley Arena. You can watch it on Sky and The uh, Zone. let's go from ringside to pitchside as we like to say and let's talk about your Liverpool Max. Um first off, our thoughts with Jurgen Klopp following the recent passing of his mother, which is um it's sad and I was listening to Talk Sport the other day and I think the sad truth is that unfortunately the world goes on and um you just got to cope with it the best you can especially in these times. But our thoughts to with uh, Jürgen. And it's been a mixed week for the Reds, Max. Liverpool have played twice uh, since our last podcast. They lost 3-1 to Leicester and beat RB Leipzig 2-0 away in Hungary in the Champions League round of 16. So a mixed week, a huge confidence boost beating Leipzig where pressing was the highlight of Liverpool's performance. And you've got a lot to thank Sabita for, I would think. Um, and <laughs> Alisson looked back to his best as well. Uh, but you can't you can't not look at the performance against Leicester and look at Alisson where he made another mistake against Leicester just like the two he made against City um, but it's a difficult one because when the doubts were creeping in he pulled it off in the Champions League so mixed week what do you make of it Max?
1: Um, Yeah, I can't have any recency bias just because the Leipzig win happened soon. You know, we can't shy away from the Leicester performance just because our most recent win has been against Leipzig. That's not something we can do. We need to really assess that Leicester game and look at those 15 minutes where it was just, you know, there there was no composure, no mentality, no competitiveness there. There was no will to win, I saw on that pitch. And it, it was just... It was, it was, it was really horrible to watch um, a team fall apart like that. I haven't seen them do that in years. Um, so it's, a, it's a bad reminder of what can happen to football teams, you know, when you keep up this champions mentality and, and form for so long in these previous years, what can happen? And, you know, this season, Premier League wise has been a bit of a catastrophe in that respect. But, um, you talk about mentality. Well, how about, having a horrible 15 minutes that cost you the game against Leicester fly out and then cause what I think is an upset against Leipzig at home. Um, They they gifted us the opportunities, but what we need to uh, really credit Liverpool for is actually taking them, which has been something they haven't done in the past, especially in Champions League games. Uh, You know, you look at games back where we've had no shots on target at home. Uh, so it's so encouraging to watch them take their chances away um, on a European stage. And that's something they can take back into the Premier League with them next week in a very important game against Everton. Uh, but it's just so confusing to see if the consistency is there anymore, because we have some great games uh, throughout the season. But as you said, you know, we, we've had a great game um The the other day, but God knows what's waiting for us in this Everton game because that's the way our form's been recently. It's been very up and down. So I think hopefully now Klotz found a smooth balance in the dressing room uh, and we have a pace that we can play to and and grind results out uh, because this consistency, I, I really don't like it. I think it's one of the worst things to have as a football club and it should be one of the first things you need to get rid of because it's so uneasy for fans and it's so uneasy for the players. Uh, you never know how how a game is going to go obviously but they're not well they in the past haven't been playing to their fullest potential to try and go out and actually win it Um, so hopefully you know as I said the Leipzig game was very encouraging and hopefully they can keep up uh, that that same encouraging behaviour you know of uh, the the, the clinical performance that they put on they need to start applying it to the Premier League Uh, we've already I think conceded the title but the top four fight really is on and it's no joke. We saw how tight it got last season. So we need to start um, really bucking the performances up and kind of go from strength to strength now to ensure that we actually will be getting European games next season as well.
0: I mean, there's so much to take away from what you've just said. I mean, You're right. <laughs> uh, Klopp, Klopp has has revealed that he doesn't believe Liverpool will hold on to the, the Premier League title this season. Um, like you said, you can't win a title without being Consistent, And you've got to ask Pep Guardiola about that and he'll tell you the exact same thing. Man City is so consistent. They have a blip, but they'll put it behind them. They'll move on and they'll go 20 games uh, winning every single one of them. And I can't decide with Liverpool whether I-, I like the style of football you play or not, or-, or if I think it's effective. Because in Klopp's 300th game against Leicester, when you lost 3-1, Forgetting all the controversy surrounding VAR, you played such a high line and you made it so easy for Harvey Barnes and Jamie Vardy. And you can't play that high line when you don't seem to be pressing in the league. Um, and I mentioned before we went we went on air, as it were, Tiago. I don't think he's suited to that high press. Um, I don't think he's quite there at the moment. I think he's too frequently late for the press, not quick enough to react. He also completely let his man go, uh, for the third goal against Leicester and Harvey Barnes did the rest in that game. Um, so, yeah, from a neutral point of view, it, it is difficult looking at Liverpool and trying to put my finger on it. What I can say and what I will say is that the Champions League this season, I mean, you've pretty much won the round of 16 with two away goals out in, uh, in Hungary. Uh, what I will say, Max, is that it's going to be so important to the rest of your campaign, staying in the Champions League, thriving in it, and, and who knows, maybe even trying to win it.
1: Yeah, I think that would be um, a fantastic thing to do, is is kind of have an unsuspecting little uh, run at, at the Champions League. You know, our old, good old friend um, that has been these past few years, I think it, it would be a great little push to have. And I think it would be really, you know, it, it would um, be fantastic for fans who have, I'm not going to say put up with Liverpool, because obviously we can kind of accept that uh, they can, they can have a bad season. Obviously, they're only human. They're going to have a bad season after.
0: And they did win the league last season.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we, we can kind of, even if they weren't to have a, a big push at the Champions League, you can kind of forgive them. But if it's possible, if if it's doable, and it, I guess the league shouldn't really be prioritised as much. If it's, you know, look, realistically looking, it doesn't seem like we're going to win it. And Champions League football looks like all we're going to settle for in the league. So I think why not? Why not, um, shift the attention to the Champions League and, and give it a push? You know, you've seen the fantastic performances we can pull out of the bag, even when the odds are against us in that tournament. So I think if, if the players are, are fit and, you know, there's, there's less injuries and we have a bit of squad depth and we're able to kind of, really really go for the Champions League then why not because what a trophy that is to win and to do it two times in about four years would just be incredible and would uh, give Klopp even a bigger legacy than he already has at Liverpool
0: it would and it would turn around uh, this season so well it would make it into what what, what it will make it into a fantastic season despite probably a poor league campaign by Liverpool standards if you win the Champions League everything else goes out of the window. Um, You touched on Klopp's legacy at the end there and you and I know as sensible football fans what an incredible job he's done at Liverpool. Uh, There were a few posts doing the rounds. We saw it in some of our group chats this week, Max, that Jurgen Klopp uh, wanted to resign. Uh, Klopp's come out and said pretty much that's a load of rubbish. He said he's full of energy. It's not true. There were also rumours that there was was a bust up between Robertson and Alisson and they came to blows after the Leicester game in the dressing room we don't know who started the rumors if it were liverpool fans unhappy with klopp if it were everton fans but it, it is sad to see a man like jürgen klopp being so disrespected by football fans when he's done so much not only for liverpool but i think for the premier league
1: yeah i you know he has he's, he's been an absolute gift since he arrived at the premier league with um and i think that's just the unforgiving side of football you know he he's had an absolute catastrophic event outside of outside of work that's um you know really made it even harder for him and it's just come at the worst time uh, as Liverpool are really facing kind of their worst run of form that they have for for a long while so it's just horrible timing and I think maybe yeah some um, good for nothing persons kind of jumped on that and tried to ignite a um you know some kind of buzz around that and I wasn't sure what to believe myself it was you know, given how down bad Liverpool were, and how unfortunate it, things were looking at the time, I I almost wouldn't have been surprised if he was to go out and resign the, the next would day. Be,
0: would you be devastated if Klopp if Klopp were to well, resign or or if he would sacked?
1: I would like to think that you know, given the relationship that he's had with the club and the club have had has had with him over the years, that obviously something that he's experienced outside of football doesn't go away, but you know, they can be, um, you know, the feelings of grief and, and mourning his mother um, will be very fresh with him right now. So I would like to think that he wouldn't permanently resign if he was to take a break from, you know, dealing uh, with what's happened out, outside of football. So, I, you know, I, I would think that such an esteemed guy, revered, loved by the team and a team that he loves, he wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't say say goodbye to so easily because it's, it's not easy to do is it but I, I would be more inclined to think that yeah he would just take a break as opposed to per- permanently be leaving the club
0: and it's very admirable how he, he's he's gone about the last few weeks but with a very professional outlook and uh, still trying to remain positive and upbeat so uh, we wish Jürgen Klopp All of the best. And on to my team, Chelsea, back in Champions League action against Atletico Madrid on Tuesday. At Southampton on Saturday at St. Mary's. And I've got to say, I'm a happier football fan than you are at the moment, Max. Because Whilst in our first episode of the Middlemen podcast, and you can go and listen back to that. And we interviewed uh, Liam Williams, who touched on it a a little bit. And I was very upset with Lampard sacking and uh, six games on. Uh, I'm not as upset as I was uh, a few weeks ago because Chelsea and now six unbeaten and they just beat Newcastle 2-0. And uh, my only criticism from that game was we didn't score more goals. And that's a lovely way uh, to be looking at the football. And, um, you know, I was at Watford on Saturday and they were relentless. And uh, I suppose with with five days to recover, Chelsea could have gone for it a little bit more. But uh, as a Chelsea fan, Max, very happy after a top performance. Even Timo Werner scored. So, <laughs> um, I am delighted. I've got to say,
1: yeah. I, you know, I think it's about time Timo really did. Um, I, I'm. I'm not going to say it's about time that he found his form. I think his effort and his intention has always been there. So it's about time that it started showing on the pitch. And I'm, I'm really happy for him. You can, it's hard to not feel happy for somebody who's made such a big move and has had ha- has had such a hard time um, in their first few months here um to actually, you know, find his form and do do what he does best. I think he played a fantastic game. Um so it's it's great. I think, yeah, Chelsea fans are be ecstatic right now with the uh, Tuchel and, and the way of football right now. Do you think the style yeah. of football's been exciting? And Very. you know what what would you say is the most exciting aspect of Tuchel and, and what's different what's different from Lampard that you think can would have changed the season if, if Lampard had stayed on uh, for the remainder of this,
0: I think the fre- it, it was initially the the fresh manager bounce, and it was all looking very gloomy and negative under Lampard. And there was a lot of negativity, which Tuchel seems to have come in and lifted. Um, but and in all honesty, the football's not an awful lot different, it, it's it's slightly better to watch and a bit more entertaining. And you look at a player like I don't know, Matteo Kovacic, who ran the show on and off the ball against Newcastle. And he quietly went about his business and just went under the radar and he saw Chelsea through. And uh, you kind of get the sense that that's what Tuchel's brought into the side. Players that didn't know they had it in them, just turning on a little bit more. Tammy Abraham's now injured. But who does Tuchel play? He plays Olivier Giroud, who didn't get enough game time under Frank Lampard. And Giroud in those centre forward <laughs> shoes who better to fill them than tammy abraham and and what a player we all know he is very underrated one so i think Tuchel's brought in a, a bit of positivity some fresh and new ideas um and, and chelsea playing better football not not an awful not an awful lot better than under lampard but i think it's the mentality and the, the team spirit seems to be back um and that's really refreshing as a chelsea fan and whatever he's doing and, I wish I were a pundit and able to go into the real details and depths of uh, his formations and tactics. But whatever he's doing, uh, it's working. And Chelsea 7 unbeaten, unbeat—well, can go seven unbeaten against Southampton um, from his first seven games in charge. So, uh, as a Chelsea fan, I'm absolutely delighted and um, yeah, very happy with the way things are going at the moment.
1: I think uh, one thing I've really noticed. Uh, I really caught my eye after the, the Newcastle game and have seen Tuchel just around the players uh, whenever I've seen them on TV is I, I think he almost has the same energy as Klopp as a manager in, yes. in the respect that he has that kind of warmth to the players, that kind of trust in, you know, you see him, he always has a smile on, the, on his face with him. He's always trying to encourage him. Um, and I think you know Klopp's the, the same with that. Always dishing out big hugs, mm-hmm. really. You know, um, happy for his players when they've had a good game, and you know, even almost happy for them when they've had a bad game. You know, very uplifting and that. And I think those uh, those seem to be the best type of. Obviously, I'm biased saying that because Klopp is that type of manager. But well, I think he is. He they, there's
0: r- no doubt he is the best type. Of, you've won everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I you know he is. Um, but that kind of. Um, love and relationship he has with the players seems to really pay off. And I think that's exactly what's happening with Chelsea and Tuchel now by the looks of it.
0: Yeah, I think it is. I think you're bang on with that. I mean, with with Lampard at the start, I think it was like that, actually. And um, as time went on, as with all Chelsea managers, it seems to be that they get very grey towards the end and then things go downhill. So I'm hoping things continue like this under Tuchel and the club. Give, Give him some time. If we go on a bad run, you know... I think we'll finish in the top four. But if we go on a bad run at some point between now and the end of the season, all right, it's OK. You know, it's, it's his first season um, from a, a completely different league and he seems to be winning games. The players seem to be happy. And uh, I think to end the podcast, I'm just going to say, if anyone from Chelsea is listening, be patient. Give him <laughs> some time to settle in, to settle down uh, and to, to get his style of football uh, into those players but that is about it from us this week on the Middlemen podcast some great boxing to look forward to with Josh Kelly um, if you haven't seen the Warrington fight then go back and watch the highlights and uh, Max as always an absolute pleasure
1: Noah, it's always great joining you, mate. And uh, guys, if you haven't watched a Warrington fight, obviously go back and watch that, but go back and watch episode one, two, and three with all our guests. It's been a little uh, one-on-one edition this week, but we're back with, well, we should definitely be back with guests uh, these next weeks. we have got a a big lineup coming for you, so stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll be with you again. Thank you for listening, guys.
0: A big guest on the way. Cheers, guys.